Disappearing factory jobs, the impact of foreign trade, and what climate legislation means for Ohio. Manufacturing Ohio's future, this week on this special edition of Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Doug Buchanan, Managing Editor for Business First. Dan Garino, Business Reporter for the Columbus Dispatch. Deborah Cummings, Assistant Director for Technology and Innovation for the Ohio Department of Development. And Peter Ward, Business Professor at Ohio State University. We touch on it often on Columbus on the Record. This week we'll devote the entire show to Ohio's changing economy. In particular, the very important role manufacturing plays in creating wealth, jobs, and tax revenue for Ohio. If you work in manufacturing, you know it is not a pretty picture. Just in the last 20 years, Ohio has lost about 40% of its manufacturing jobs. As a percentage of Ohio's workforce, factory jobs have gone down from 21% to about 12.5% since 1990. Peter Ward, is this a permanent trend, or is there any way to get that line going up again? Oh, we're gonna see job loss uh, you know, from now on. However, we still make an awful lot of stuff in Ohio, and we will continue to make product, and it'll continue to be a very, very important part of our economy. It's just that productivity is, uh, is what it is, and we're going to see fewer and fewer jobs. So it's efficiencies. It's using technology, whether it be robots or th things like that that are having a, a big role in these job losses. Sure. Well. It's using technology. It's also uh, being smarter about the way uh, workers are, are employed, and uh, there's... Uh, you know, a, a, a big aspect there, and, and just in terms of, of uh, lean production and operational excellence and all of the, uh, uh, those buzzwords we hear, you know, they really work. Of course, the other thing is that there's uh, lots of jobs have, have moved offshore, and, and that's, that's a reality as well. So it, as you talk to manufacturers around the state, how are they coping? Dan or Doug? Not well. I mean, um, it, there's just a variety of problems that are hitting them all at once, and um, you know that uh, is contributing to job loss. And now, granted, there is productivity increases. Uh, I think that the state said that uh, we increased exports last year. Uh, so even though we've got far fewer workers, uh, they are producing more. But uh, until the overall economy starts to turn around, uh, I just don't see any of those jobs, uh, you know, starting to be added back. Um, you know, especially when the overall job climate, not just for manufacturers, is very tough. I think manufacturing may be one of the last things to come back. Dan, in your reporting, what is the biggest complaint that manufacturing companies have as to why it's hard to uh, to maintain their workforces? In essence, it's a lot of a lot of the things you hear about the economy as a whole. Um, the uh, reduced orders, sharply reduced orders, uh, companies that serve the auto industry in one way or another, or companies that serve the companies that serve the auto industry, it's kind of this uh, uh, kind of uh, downhill, uh, kind of tr trickles down in terms of eventually affecting just about everybody in this industry. And uh, um, American consumers need to start buying stuff. In particular, they need to start buying more of kind of what are called durable goods, things that are going to last a few years, because those, those are the things that um, a lot of the manufacturing uh, capacity in Ohio makes things like that. Washing machines, mm -hmm. dryers furnaces, mm -hmm. things like that, refrigerators. Deb, is there, is there any sector of the manufacturing economy that is doing 
I'm not sure well is the right term during this recession, but mm -hmm. better than others. Yeah, I think actually there are. And I think to Peter's comments earlier, I think that you have to look at the manufacturing sector really as two different types of sectors. There are those sectors that are driven primarily by cost. And therefore, when it is completely a reduction of cost, then you're operating on very thin margins, that it is those areas that is very difficult for any, really any U.S. manufacturer, let alone an Ohio manufacturer, to compete. What's an example of one of those manufacturers? Well, I think the auto industry certainly is one of them. The durable goods industry certainly is another, where really it's a commodity purchase. So whether it's this manufacturer or another, you really can't tell the difference. Everybody's is the same, and it's a commodity. Mm -hmm. I think that where Ohio manufacturers, those that are succeeding, and we do have quite a number of them, they are the ones who've been able to say, we are going to be able to increase our margins by looking at functionality of the product, by performance of the materials, by being able to examine really things that set them apart apart for a competitive advantage and a unique comparative advantage globally, set their price margins accordingly, and they are doing quite well, and often those are in new and emerging industries. What's an example of one of those companies? Sure, so companies that are get, starting to get into some of the clean energy technologies, where maybe they're transitioning from some of the, you know, they're a tier two or tier three supplier to the automotive industry, and they're starting to say, you know what, we can make brake engine parts instead of for the automotive industry, we're going to make them for wind turbines or, you know, manufacturers that maybe used to make durable goods who are starting to get into biomedical equipment and manufacturing and really being able to set themselves apart in terms of their margins to be able to make, be able to make a profit here in Ohio. I'd say set them apart too on the technology side too. I mean, you have to be able to manufacture something that is not easily sent to a cheaper plant in China or India or whatever the next country is going to be after that. So uh, uh, aeronautics, uh, the GE aircraft engines down uh, down by Cincinnati, I think would be a good example of that. I mean, it's just not easily moved. So we have to have that intellectual capacity here in Ohio to keep it here in Ohio. Yeah, one thing I, s I see is that more and more managers that I'm hearing from are starting to appreciate the fact that, well, it's awfully good to make things near where they're sold. Okay, and of course this doesn't apply to every product, but, but one of the things that, uh, manufacturers are, are, are often discovering the hard way is that these very, very long logistical uh, lines uh, to Asia and, and other parts of the world um, are very costly in terms of flexibility. So to have uh, uh, at least part of the manufacturing base be in the United States or close to home markets um, is a very, very powerful thing. And I think that's something that we will see play out as we, as we come out of this recession. We've seen some technology and service companies, you know, call centers, send their call centers overseas and then bring them back because of the problems they've had. Any manufacturers done that yet that have sent stuff overseas and come back to Ohio that we know of? Yeah, actually, um, American Trim is a perfect example of a manufacturer who's been in business for over 50 years, I believe, in the state of Ohio. Um, they had set aside and sent to Mexico um, part of their, and I, I don't have all the details, so I apologize, but part of their manufacturing process for chrome plating. Uh, they were an automotive supplier. And through technology advancement, they were able to determine a way that became much more efficacious to be able to do it back in their home base. Um, and they are now producing that part and manufacturing it back here in Ohio. Through technology advancement, it was a process improvement. And it became, for logistics and other reasons, more cost effective to do it here. Is the automotive industry, is that just going to pretty much evaporate from Ohio? I know there's still some large plants here. Obviously, Honda here in central Ohio. Dan, I mean, what is the future of auto manufacturing, which have been so, such a big factor here over the past 40, 50 years? 
Well, well Honda has a, a strong presence and uh, in, in the long run, I suspect a, a growing presence. Uh, I, state leaders were breathing a big sigh of relief that GM didn't remove more of its operations than it did. And as long as they've got uh, a focus on producing a new model there and, and uh, um, doing um, kind of their cars of the future uh, at, at that plant in uh, Northeast Ohio, I, I think the auto industry will continue to be a major employer. Uh, it's, it's, uh, there are those who think, it, you know, we're looking at this decades-long shrinkage until it's nothing. I don't think that's, that's necessarily the case, though I think in the long run it will be, uh, you know, the, the total footprint will probably decline. Let's look at one challenge that uh, businesses face, manufacturers face. The number 80 is very important to Ohio manufacturing companies. Here's why. 80% of Ohio's electricity is generated by coal. The climate bill before Congress aims to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 80% by the middle of this century. So that's where Ohio finds itself in the middle because factories rely heavily on electricity and greenhouse gases produce that coal, which produces that electricity. Those factories thus face big changes in the years ahead as this climate bill, if it passes. Dan, you heard two different stories. The climate bill is going to kill manufacturing in Ohio, and climate, the climate bill could save manufacturing in Ohio. Which, where's the truth? Well, the, the truth is it's going to kill some of manufacturing, <laughs> and it's going to save some of manufacturing. Uh, I think that, uh, to a certain extent, there is... Uh, this acceptance among a lot of the major employers that something is going to happen and they might as well get ready for it, they might as well get out ahead of it and um, begin to make the changes that they need to make now, while at the same time kind of hoping that the final plan gets watered down substantially so they don't really have to change that much. Um, I think that uh, an interesting concern for companies is that they're going to have to follow potentially these more stringent rules that make it more expensive for them to operate while their overseas competitors may not necessarily have to follow those same rules. And, and this is yet another kind of arena for this longstanding argument about um, kind of how competitive this, uh, our local economy is going to be compared to overseas competition. A study of, uh, sponsored by Sherrod Brown and a, a labor group or a group of affiliated with labor said that Ohio could lose 200,000 jobs because of the, of the climate bill. Is that a reasonable prediction, or is that worst case? Was that to say, because I, I had something from Sherry Brown saying there'd be 51,000 green jobs. That's uh, the other th That's yeah. the other study. Uh, uh, there were so many studies flying around. This is the yeah. one from the Economic Policy Institute that says that because of the yeah. restrictions on uh, emissions, that 200,000 jobs could be lost from current manufacturers. Maybe the academic can answer that question. Yeah, I think the, um, the, the, the you know some jobs will be lost, some jobs will be gained. Mm -hmm. uh, you know the the, the uh, winners are very very hard to predict, um, and uh, you know what, what's for sure is that we are not going to gain job you know green jobs in any any numbers unless we do something about R and D and our ability to innovate. And unless we, uh, you know, continue to train a workforce that uh, companies want to hire, and, and again, these are, these tend to be small companies that, that grow big. Um, it's real hard to pick winners and losers. Are we going to lose some jobs? We sure are, and probably jobs that we are going to lose inevitably anyway. Yeah, I was going to say that the, the, you know I think it's going to be that initial loss that's going to get bad, and then we have to just cross I our fingers and hope that eventually the investments that we make in the R and D, the incentives we give these green companies, will eventually come back. But it's uh, you know it's going to add to the pain uh, of trying to recover from this uh, from this economy until that happens. 
Well, I certainly hope that it's more than crossing our fingers. While I certainly, I don't think anybody can downplay those you know, largely uh, energy-reliant companies that are going to be hit hard by whatever legislation is passed. But, you know, the Pew Charitable Foundation came out recently with a study that ranked Ohio, and again, how they come up with these numbers, it's hard to say, but, you know, ranked Ohio saying that we are the fourth largest producer of clean energy type products. And I think, again, this is key, that no matter where the legislation goes, I think all of us recognize that whether it's in five years or 10 years or 50 years, the reality is the world is going to be going to a an alternative energy environment. And what is unique about Ohio, and it's not just Ohio, but I do think Ohio has a real comparative advantage in this field, is because of our manufacturing heritage and expertise, this does open avenues because of our supply chain mm -hmm. to be significantly strong in some of these key areas. And so, you know, we kind of like to say it doesn't matter if we sell the kilowatt here, but are we producing the fuel cell or the photovoltaic panel or the wind engine turbine blade or whatever it may be? And I think, you know, one of the areas that we could talk more about is the area of bioproducts. And, and again, the whole, you know, linkage between our agricultural economy and our manufacturing and our, you know, expertise in advanced materials, all of that does set up at least components of Ohio's economy to come out of this very strong with some significant advantages that will compete globally. So would Sharon Brown and other Rust Belt Democrats in particular are pushing this, they call it a border adjustment, which is basically a tariff on foreign produced steel and heavy industry materials. Because of that, what you mentioned, Dan, that they don't have the same environmental controls that might be imposed with this climate bill. Is that a good idea, a border adjustment or tariff to get us through to that long term? Well, it sure depends on whether you're, uh, you know, buying or selling, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's one of those, one of those things that um, to, we, you know, we count an awful lot on, on, on using steel in products as well. Uh, you know, so to, so to boost the price of steel doesn't help us in that, in, in, in that regard. So I think it's, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the notion of, of government being able to, to fix this in anything but the very, very short term is, is you know, a fool's errand. And it seems like the, uh, this ho the whole issue of, it, in particular with steel pricing, uh, when you talk about anything that kind of smells like a tariff, it just opens a gigantic can of worms. And once that can is opened, it could affect lots of other things that are, uh, that are precious to other industries in Ohio. So Ohio experts would feel the repercussions if we were to slap a a border adjustment on potentially because anyone can can do something like that. How about tax credits to lessen the burden of manufacturers making this switch? Is that might that help? How much might it help? Well, I think the the the, the whole toolbox that the state has at, at its disposal overall is going to help. Whether it's grants, low interest loans, tax credits. I mean, they've got a lot of programs available, and uh, you know, I think as as Ohioans, we have to hope that that funding sticks around and doesn't get, uh, you know, diverted. I mean, the state really doesn't have a whole lot yeah. uh, that they can that they can do for that. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's what we have to do, especially when you're talking about green technology. It's not like uh, a company coming in and, and wanting to build an established product. I mean, they are taking a you know a substantial risk to go into a completely new industry, and if they are going to attract other investors to this venture, I think having some kind of a state aid in there uh, is a real benefit. Okay. Foreign countries have looser environmental standards, but they also have lower wages, and that has hurt Ohio's manufacturing sector. Many companies have moved their operations south to Latin America or overseas to Asia because of much lower labor costs. Ohio companies and workers trying to compete argue one way to solve this problem is to put tariffs on those imports so it's less attractive to move overseas. But Congress 
seems to be going in the opposite direction, looks, looking, looking to lessen trade restrictions. Doug, is there any way moving forward that Ohio companies can compete on the labor cost issue in, in manufacturing? Uh, I don't see any great reason to think that that's going to happen. I mean, we've been dealing with this cost imbalance for years and years, decades, and uh, that's only you know accelerating as it becomes easier to set up shop in some of these other countries. So, uh, I, you know, I, I think that uh, the trying to control trade that way is uh, is just going to be counterproductive in the long run. One of the things you have to remember is that labor is a smaller and smaller part of the total bill of a manufactured product. Mm -hmm. And the other thing we have to remember is that logistics costs are only going up. I mean, as energy costs go up, inevitably it costs more to move uh, uh, products uh, from here to there. So that we see now is that in many industries, uh, the cost of production in Mexico and China have equalized. Okay, even though labor rates continue to be a bit lower in China, it's it, it, it's still still equalized. And I think that again, we're 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 never going to uh, be in a position where we want. Uh, to have uh, an Ohio worker uh, be able to, to, to compete on, in, in terms of hourly wage with, with somebody in, in, a, in, a, in the third world. Okay? But as we become more and more productive, the, the, uh, that becomes less and less of an, an issue, and logistics costs become a bigger part of it. So it's funny, the, in the climate change, the energy costs rising hurts Ohio, but if energy costs rise enough in your argument that it might actually help keep sure. jobs here in Ohio. Sure. Um, Ross Perot, remember him? <laughs> He was like the phenomenon before Sarah Palin. He predicted NAFTA would have the giant sucking sound of jobs. Has Ohio heard that sound because of NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement? I, I mean, I don't think it's because of NAFTA. I mean, I, I think that there was, again, already some of that movement, um, uh, you know, going down there. But uh, uh, I, I you know, maybe you know the stats better, but I haven't really seen large numbers of factories going to Mexico. I mean, you don't... You hear more about China uh, than than anything else, uh, so uh, I don't know. I'm skeptical. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think you can point to NAFTA. I think you know if Ross Perot was campaigning for anything today, it would be against all global trade. Period. Yeah, he true. wouldn't, you know, and he would be picking on China versus Mexico. And I think to Peter's earlier comment, the reality of manufacturing today is that it is becoming less and less labor, truly manual labor intensive, and it is requiring higher skilled jobs higher skilled individuals, training, and, and again, that is what is going to allow Ohio, if not the U.S., to be able to maintain some of its manufacturing when it does go to the kind of common denominator of just the lowest, not lowest skilled, but just, you know, a fundamental skill, then lowest wages are going to be able to compete. When you're able to build a comparative advantage that says, you know what, we need bright, talented workers who are able to solve problems, who are able to do, those jobs are going to stay here because you're not going to get the cost efficiencies because of logistics and energy and other things to combat the, to combat the cost of labor. I mean, NAFTA was the boogeyman, especially during the last year's presidential campaign, or not just NAFTA, but other trade agreements and free trade. How has that benefited Ohio, not just manufacturers, but other businesses as well? Our exports are up, so that we're, we're exporting things thanks to these agreements, I would assume. Well, that, that and, and, and the fact that the uh, dollar is, is lower relative to other currencies, uh, that, that makes us a, a more attractive uh, exporter. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I join most uh, of the, uh, you know, the people in, in, in who are economists and, and observers of business um, in, in believing that 
you know, trade restrictions are not a good thing. They're not a good thing for the uh, for the world economy. They're not a good thing for the national economy, and that the uh, you know part of the, the the burden that we feel because of of, of um, um, free trade and, the, and 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 some of the the external externalities that we just we we've, we've been talking about, you know, felt uh, disproportionately by manufacturing. I certainly agree with that. But I think that, that the overall benefit is that we have a better economy uh, overall, the current recession notwithstanding. Yeah. Let's get to our uh, final topic. So what's the future of Ohio's manufacturing sector? Mark Schweitzer from the Cleveland Federal Reserve said, a desperate pursuit of anything manufacturing just doesn't make any sense. He was saying Ohio should not put all of its eggs in the green basket. Deborah Cummings, what other baskets are out there? I think there are numerous baskets for Ohio. Um, the Ohio Third Frontier, if you're, if you're not familiar with it, is Ohio's 10-year investment and hopefully longer investment in Ohio's technology-based economic development uh, economy. It is looking at investments across really five key areas with now clusters forming under them. So you have the entire biomedical field, in which we have significant success stories in biomedical imaging and cardiovascular. Uh, we have the advanced energy that we've already spoken today, and Ohio is leading the way in fuel cells and photovoltaics and certainly is starting to gain some traction in wind and biomass. We have the area of power and propulsion. You had referenced GE earlier, mm -hmm. and we have significant supply uh, chain strengths in that area. Instruments, controls, and electronics. Uh, looking at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and the entire cluster built around Dayton and really expands across the state in the area of sensors is an extremely exciting area with numerous not only commercial and governmental applications and who knows where the next 10 years will take us in that area. So there are numerous clusters and areas and they are all based on, you know, others had talked earlier on the panel on the need to continue to conduct research, to be able to take a, an innovative idea through the commercialization pathway to an end product to develop a unique comparative advantage. And it's the companies and the manufacturers that are doing that that are going to be able to compete on a global scale and are going to be able to maintain their manufacturing base here in the state. And it, it, you, know, you brought up the third frontier. I mean, that's coming up uh, possibly uh, uh, for a renewal. Uh, and uh, I mean, that is exactly the kind of thing that I think that we need because, yeah, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, but you want to have enough seed money to spread around to see what works. There's another one, the Ohio Capital Fund. Uh, venture Capital. Oh, the Ohio venture, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, they had a $150 million uh, fund of funds, I believe. That's another one that, we, that could be brought up uh, mm -hmm. for renewal. And if we can get that money and put it out in there into the market, I mean, I think that's the strategy that Ohio has got to be able to do. Uh, not, pick, not picking winners and losers mm -hmm. you know, initially, but at least spreading that wealth around. Other states are doing the same thing. Um, how but hard is it to compete with other states? But differently, if mm -hmm. I can say. And I, I, I before doing what I did, yeah. I, I consulted across the country for about a decade doing strategies for other mm -hmm. states. And what's very unique about Ohio and the third <coughs> frontier, which it was quite a vision for it, is that it takes programs across the entire commercialization continuum. So we do have significant programs in entrepreneurial development, risk capital, market entry, and growth and sustainability. If you look at almost any other state in the nation, they are focusing in one area. Maybe they're focusing on the university industrial research partnerships, and that's all they do. Maybe they focus on entrepreneurial development, and that's all they do. There are very few other states that at a public-private level have made this type of investment mm -hmm. into its economy to really try to turn it around and, and make it ready for you know, the next 50 years. But you look at Honda's facility in the short term in Indiana. 
And those are the, looking, that's the long-term strategy. But in the short term, everybody wants green jobs, whether it be North Carolina, Ohio, Texas. How does Ohio compete with those? Can it? Or is it going to get all watered down? What it takes is, uh, you know, at the margin, efforts like, like Debbie is, is, is suggesting. Yeah. Um, and it takes some luck. It takes, uh, you know, a state that, that has entrepreneurs that, uh, who each individually desperately uh, produce, uh, pursue something. And, 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 and cumulatively, we get some winners, and, and that's kind of the way it works. I mean, there's a, you know, if you, if you just look at economic history and, and, and the ups and downs, uh, that geographic regions have had. I mean, it, it's you know there's a, a renewal process, and we're seeing that that play out. I think at the margin we can affect it, and we can make you know we can make Ohio come back faster. Okay. Let's get to our weekly off the record comments from our panel. Some final <coughs> thoughts, predictions for the months ahead. Say, Doug Buchanan, you're up first. Uh, I, I can't stress enough the importance of logistics and the infrastructure uh, in the state, especially as it relates to, to manufacturing. I mean, you look at Rickenbacker, there's an awful lot of big warehouses down there. And you know, I think uh, the, the idea is that people are thinking that we're going from manufacturing plants to warehouses. But I think if we can invest and get this logistics infrastructure around the state, the manufacturers will follow. Okay. Dan. Uh, get ready to hear the term smart grid so many times that you're absolutely sick of it. And, and uh, this applies, this will apply to manufacturers, this will apply to uh, um, homeowners, this will apply to smart grid, smart grid, smart grid. This is the electric utility exactly. grid that makes it more efficient. That will eventually apply to everything and uh, you'll hear about it every single day and get completely sick of it. <laughs> All right, Deborah. Uh, not being a PhD economist, I will step out on a limb and say I predict that the recession will end. Uh, but more importantly, <laughs> not know what I'm not saying when. But more importantly, I strongly believe that those Ohio companies that have taken this time to really try to take the opportunity to bring innovation into their products will be that far ahead to be able to grow that more exponentially when when the economy recovers. And Peter, real quick, we're going to see more and more emphasis on innovation in the way work is done. And we're going to learn to work smarter, and that's going to be a big, big part of coming out of this recession. Okay. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. Be sure to check out our website. There you can see streaming video from this show and past shows, and you can check us out on Facebook. All of that is at our website, wosu.org slash cotr. For our panel here at WOSU at COSI and for our crew, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week. Thank you.